0: God, we are grateful for uh, this time together right now. And as the, the days get a little shorter, it's just a reminder of, of how much we need your light in our lives. Not, not only does that light dispel darkness, but it, it brings forth life. And since you are the light of the world, that means you're also the giver of life. And for that, we are thankful. God, you're, you're great, you're good, and, and we want you to know that we love you. And as we have gathered this morning to celebrate the good news that you have given to the world, remind us that it is our purpose to offer that good news to others, not only in our words but also in our deeds of love and mercy and peace and justice. God, we pray for those individuals on our hearts and our minds that that need you to step in right now, those that are hurting or lost or confused of purpose or they're lonely or depressed or they're physically ill, we ask that you intervene in such a way that your peace and your presence is felt at this very moment. God, we thank you for your church and the people that make it up. We thank you for Grace Community Church here in town and and the fact that we get to labor beside them to bring the gospel good news to make disciples of Jesus Christ. We pray for their leadership and and their congregation as they fulfill the calling that you have on their life. And God, we ask that you be with us as well, right here, as we make uh, commitments to to Jesus Christ and his his church. Uh, Don't let them be empty promises, but rather bold declarations of faith that express themselves in action instill in us hearts of great joy and courage to serve you and to serve one another. Lead us in the direction you want us to go and empower us to accomplish the mission that you've set out for us. Give us a big dose of holy boldness, God, so that we may be the people of the resurrection. And now, God, just hear us collectively as we pray the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples when he said, Our Father, who art in heaven, Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, again, everybody. It is a big day in the life of the vine here at Cabot, and um, I, I know that sounds uh, strange when we start talking about um, we're all it's kind of membership Sunday, and we're going to start joining the church. And I know it sounds strange because many of you have been a church member your whole life, uh, but hopefully, you've learned something new or something different in this past series that you didn't know before. Perhaps the Holy Spirit revealed something that's going to lead uh, to some growth or to some change or some transformation as we all continue uh, to be more like Christ. So I've had a lot of comments about this this last series that we've been in, um, and really the most common comment was the fact that people just really didn't put much thought into the fact that most of the New Testament is just full of... um, Instructions and guidance on how to be a church member. Uh, since we look at the Bible really as the kind of the expert advice or this blueprint for living, sometimes uh, we forget or take for granted that, that the, the early Christians were they were learning this as they kind of went along, right? They were they were learning to do life together in a new way. Uh, Christianity didn't exist before Jesus, obviously, and so. Uh, that meant that the, the believers were all kind of transforming and making this paradigm shift. And like the, the Jews uh, who placed their faith in Jesus Christ, um, they were having to kind of switch from an old covenant to a new covenant, and that was challenging. The, the non-Jews or, or the pagans, um, they were going from a, a lifestyle that had very little discipline or self-control to a lifestyle that demanded discipline. Uh, the root word there being disciple, Right? Um, All of these new Christians were just kind of figuring it out. And so so the writers of the New Testament, they wrote these letters to churches in in Rome and Philippi and Ephesus and other places and to other people as sort of a a how-to guide. And, and for the past 2,000 years, these letters have provi- been very helpful in providing uh, some valuable information on how to develop a church and how to organize a church and how to, to grow spiritually and, and, and just a spiritual understanding of greater things that are of heaven. Uh, but, but as with any set of instructions, we're bad about this, uh, we can turn them into a formal to-do list, Right. Like this, uh, a formula for success. Like if you'll just do these things, then you got it. And if you don't do these things well, then you don't have it. Our human nature really is to try to control things. And if we can turn Christianity into a set of rules um, that we either follow or don't follow, then we think that that's going to kind of tell us where we stand with God. Oh, they're following the rules. Oh, they're not. They're sinners. They're bad. You know, that type thing. And so uh, it's the same thing that that the Jews did early on, right? They boiled down the Word of God to this list of commands and just did their best to follow all of them. That's not what the New Testament was intended to be. It's not what it was intended to do. Its intent really was to show the fulfillment of the promises of God from the Old Testament. The Old Testament was about the coming of the Messiah. Jesus, the Savior of the world. And the New Testament is about his arrival and the kingdom that he brought with him. And so Christianity isn't about rules regulations. It's about relationships, a relationship with God and with one another and how those relationships contribute to and impact the kingdom of God on earth. So it's not about, um, have you done this or have you done that or, you know, have you, have you checked the box? And I realize that we've been talking about, right, right what you have to do or what you, what you need to do and, um, and as it relates to being a church member. We've been talking about it for six weeks. Here's what you need to do. And so uh, I don't want us to get lost in the minutia of following rules and regulations because it's not effective, it's not healthy, and it sure isn't fun. Hopefully you received, as Katie mentioned earlier, um, a mail out with these um, a membership letter and, and a covenant. If you didn't, no biggie. You can grab some paperwork at the back um, after the worship service. But but I want you to see the the six uh, pledges that were in the book that we followed. We followed that book. I am a church member, and they had pledges in it. We we we've boiled them down though to kind of one one liners. And so um, here here's the The six pledges, I think, that are coming up. So first one, I I will be a functioning church member of this body of Christ where I'm going to give, attend, serve, minister, evangelize, study, and be a blessing to others. In a word, um, involved, right? I'm just going to be involved. I'm going to seek to be a source of unity in the church. I'm not going to be divisive. I will be a member of this church to serve others and to serve Christ. In other words, it's, it's not about me, right? It's, a, it's about something much bigger than me. I'm going to pray for my church leaders and my church family regularly. We talked about how we are in a spiritual battle, and prayer is powerful. We need it. Um, as a member of the family of God, I'm going to love, forgive, and support others as they grow in Christ. This is our family right here, and we're going to protect each other, right? We're going to help each other grow in Christ and watch out for each other. I will treasure my membership in this local congregation, realizing that where my treasure is, that's where my heart will be. Therefore, I'm going to share my gifts and contributions to support the ministries of the vine. As forgiven people, we are part of something different, something special. We're going to treasure our membership as a gift from God. And so these are short, they're simple, they're easy to follow, But just following some rules isn't going to change your life, and it sure isn't going to change the world. Even though the New Testament lays out some some expectations for Christians, those expectations don't naturally translate into a love for the church or a passion for its mission. Therefore, it is possible to approach the Christian life in a very legalistic manner to where you're just kind of going through the motions of being a Christian and you're doing what religious people are expected to do. So how do we avoid that? Because that is a, that's a trap our enemy lays for us. But how, how do we avoid that? How do we, how do we get the passion that the disciples had? Where can we find the power that Jesus operated with? How can we take the knowledge that we have in our head about God and transfer it into our heart so that our faith explodes? Jesus spent three years teaching and modeling a life that God wants for his people to live. He gave guidance, instructions, he shared wisdom that was completely countercultural. He was teaching the values, the principles, and the characteristics of heaven on earth. And it was new and it was exciting and it was positive and encouraging. And the disciples were pretty fired up about their leader and being part of this whole Jesus movement. But then all of a sudden, Jesus dropped a bomb on their parade. And he informed them that he would be leaving. He has to suffer and die. Blew their mind. Their hearts are broken. They're shocked. Their dreams of the future are shattered. How can they go on without their dynamic leader? As followers of Jesus, they, they knew they were introducing a completely different way of living to the world. The Bible calls it the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God has, has a, a different guidelines how to live life, right? So if you've been a Christian for a while, you have discovered that, that there are expectations in God's kingdom that are a lot different than the kingdom that you came out of. You have discovered that there, there are things that are okay out there and they're not okay in here in the kingdom. You've discovered that there are standards out there that are much lower than standards in here. And when Jesus told the disciples that he was leaving, he knew that they were just overwhelmed with that thought. He knew that they were thinking about quitting. How could they continue to serve the Lord and fulfill the mission to the world without him? They felt defeated, the battle hadn't even begun. So Jesus tells them in John, 15, in John 14, 15, and this was his way of comforting them and encouraging them. So this is extremely important. He says, if you love me, keep my commands. Right? In other words, everything I've taught you, do that. Keep, keep my commands. And if you do that, I'm going to ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. Jesus recognized our human inability to live the Christian life without the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And and what what we find in the Bible is this this book called Acts. And Acts was written to describe and to illustrate the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And so let me share with you uh, what Luke recorded in the book of Acts. I'm just going to read a little bit out of uh, chapter 1 and the first few verses out of chapter 2. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day that he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles that he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days, and he spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion... While he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift that my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, so they're in Jerusalem, they're waiting. They're doing what Jesus told them to do. Pentecost was a, a celebration, a, a feast that the Jews Had for the first fruits of the wheat harvest. And so they're all there celebrating Pentecost. And when Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, not just 12 of them. Scripture says there were 120 of them. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit Enabled them. After that day, nothing was ever the same again. For the world, by the way. Those that received the Holy Spirit began to teach and preach and minister in such a powerful way that the good news of Jesus Christ began to spread all over the world. They were ushering in the kingdom of God. The boldness was with, with which the, the, the church advanced, it, it changed their future and it shaped our past. Up until Pentecost, the disciples had been a law-abiding religious do-gooders. They kept the commands, they followed the law of Moses and all the other 613 rules. They went to the synagogues each week. They made their required pilgrimages to the temple in Jerusalem. They were living out their religion But when the Holy Spirit came, it changed them from spectators in the bleachers to players on the field. They became this unstoppable force of faith-filled men and women that took the world by storm for the cause of Christ. Immediately after the Holy Spirit came, the church began to spread and grow. The knowledge that Jesus had shared with them was transformed into a passion for the kingdom of God. And their message of love and forgiveness and justice and freedom spread and it became a threatening ideology to the powers that were in control at the time. The disciples, they were healing the sick and forgiving sins of others and they were preaching boldly with wisdom and truth. They got organized and they put people with with certain gifts in the right places of ministry and and it, and it helped the church continue to grow and advance. And sometimes we get caught up in In the fact that on Pentecost, people began to speak in in other languages or tongues. And we forget about the purpose of the gift of the Holy Spirit. It was to unify God's people. So Pentecost is often referred to as the reversal of the Tower of Babel, what happened there, right? When, When God confused their language and they couldn't communicate, and so they split up and they went different ways. And with the coming of the Holy Spirit, people were hearing the message of Jesus in their own language, in their own tongue. And this gave them a newfound passion and power to walk together in the kingdom of God on earth. It is by the power of the Holy Spirit that we come together as one body with one purpose, one baptism, one spirit serving one God. The Spirit empowers each believer with his own set of gifts to be used for the building up of the kingdom For the kingdom. The strategic business model of the early church was so simple and it was so clear that all of those who believed in Jesus knew that their purpose was to serve other people and in doing so they would fulfill the mission of the church but they were also serving Christ in doing that. And so just us, like just going out into the world with a whole bunch of facts about God and a whole bunch of knowledge about the Bible without the Holy Spirit, that's a waste of time. The challenges that we face in life, the stress, the worry, the relationship problems, the the work issues, the dysfunctional family dynamics, the spiritual battles, or whatever it is, these will not be overcome because you come to church on a Sunday and get some information about Jesus. It's not enough to have the truth of God. It's critical, but it is not sufficient to just have the truth of God taught to you because there's no power in information alone. There must be an actualization of the Holy Spirit in your life. And here's the good news. You have it. You may not realize it, but you do. 1 Corinthians 12:13 says that we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jew or Gentile, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Jesus told his disciples to go to Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit because he knew that if they just went out on their own, teaching what he had taught them, that they would be met with such resistance they would want to give up. They'd quit and just go back to doing what they were used to doing, even though what they were used to doing wasn't honoring God. Their encounter with Jesus and their knowledge of Jesus probably would have changed their life a little bit but it wouldn't have given them the power that they needed to sustain their ministry over the course of their lifetime. And Jesus knew this. That's why he told them, listen, I've got to go. I must go. Because if I go, then the Holy Spirit can follow me, can be a part of your life. That's what they needed. Jesus wanted them to know that just having knowledge and facts and information about Christianity, I mean, that might make you a, a methodical Christian, a mechanical Christian, but it will not make you a powerful one. It is by the power of the Holy Spirit that we're able to live this kingdom life. The Holy Spirit is what is to us what Jesus was to them. He knew that they couldn't and that we can't, pull off what He expects of us on our own. If we want to be a reflection of Jesus Christ to the world, we need a helper. And God knows that, that His standards are way up here and ours are way down here. He knows that, that even on, with our best efforts, it's just not going to take us very far. And knowing our human Limitations and insufficiencies, God has granted us a new power source whose job it is to empower Christians to live a kingdom life. That's our goal. Because if we're living a kingdom life, the world is going to take notice and they're going to be drawn to God. And one of the best scriptures that describes our role as followers of Jesus Christ is found in a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. It's here that he discusses uh, the ministry of reconciliation, and he uses the term ambassador to describe our role and, and our function. So here it is, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, beginning with verse 17. Therefore, anyone, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. We talked about this last week, Right? that when you place your faith in Jesus Christ and and symbolically express that with a baptism, you're taken out of the old you, out of Adam, and you are placed into Christ. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And he gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation we are therefore christ ambassadors as though god were making his appeal to the world through us generally speaking an ambassador is a respected official acting as a representative of a nation sent to a foreign land the ambassador's role is to reflect the official position of a sovereign body that gave them authority And one of the greatest challenges of an ambassador is to not assimilate into the dominant culture with which they are living. They have to be very intentional about keeping the customs and the traditions of the homeland. Otherwise, they're going to be influenced to make decisions that are not in the best interest of the country that they represent. And the longer they're immersed into, in a foreign country, a foreign land, the more likely they are to forget who or what they represent. This is what happened to the Israelites when they were in exile for so many years. Uh, many of them forgot that they were God's chosen people, and they just kind of blended in to the culture around them. But friends, we, we represent another kingdom, a different kingdom. And it is our responsibility to reflect the official position of heaven. We may be in this world, but we are not of this world. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, we must take the message of our King to the ends of the earth, imploring men and women everywhere to be reconciled to God and to one another. And as members of the body of Christ, and as members of the vine at Cabot, This is our Christian witness. This is our mission. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for allowing us to be ambassadors of you, representing a whole different world. But God is challenging sometimes. Sometimes we, we just we forget. We've, we've blended our American lives with Christianity so much, sometimes we don't know where the line is. And so our prayer, God, is that you would continue to, to open our eyes and reveal things to us and just pour out more of your Holy Spirit into our hearts and our minds so that we can clearly see what we're called to do, who we're called to serve, and what this life is really about. God, I thank you for all these individuals in this room here today. And my prayer is, God, that is that when we look at each other, we see each other as, as family. That we, we are the body of Christ here at the Vine at Cabot. And that we truly do love one another. And we want to serve each other. We want what's best for each other. We want to see spiritual growth happening and lives changed and Bonds broken, addiction stopped, marriage is healed. God, we just want you to work in us and through us in a powerful way. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.